in my opinion, conscious is the best word to describe kind of what we're all talking about and we're all doing. You know, bringing the awareness at the core of what we're all talking about is bringing awareness to what we're doing um, and doing it intentionally, consciously, right? I think sometimes when people hear gentle parenting, people that can kind of be a turnoff because like you may not feel, you know, maybe when you're holding a boundary or the feelings you have inside don't feel very gentle, right? And um, so that can be, I think, sometimes really confusing. And I, and I get what people are saying. It's, you know, I understand why people would use that word. But I think the most accurate word is uh, conscious. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. That voice you hear at the beginning of this episode is Chaz Lewis, also known as Mr. Chaz. Chaz is one of very few male voices that's talking about positive parenting and more intentional discipline. I really enjoyed this opportunity to chat with Chaz because there were a variety of topics that I wanted to pick his brain about. Today, we're talking about the messiness in the parent-child relationship, making mistakes, both kids and adults, talking to teachers, gaining cooperation, and positive, more intentional discipline. Before we jump into today's episode, two quick things I wanted to mention. Number one, I'm getting ready to relaunch my Partners in Parenthood program. This is a program geared at unifying the approach between partners, so finding common ground when it comes to child rearing and discipline, especially one that is both positive and effective. If you're interested in learning more about this program and getting all the details, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash partners. And the second thing, the Simple Families podcast will be moving over to a new podcast network, which is Cloud 10 iHeartRadio. As a part of this change, you're going to be hearing some new sponsors. Right now, the ad spots are usually one minute at the beginning or one minute in the middle. Moving forward, it's going to be more like two minutes in the middle. As always, I appreciate you supporting these sponsors. They help to keep the show running and keep it free to you. And if you do come across a sponsor that you don't want to support, that's absolutely okay too. I work hard to find sponsors that align with the values of this show. But if you find some that you don't love, feel free to hit fast forward. And always feel free to email me feedback, danae at simplefamilies.com. Without further ado, here's today's episode. Hi, Chaz. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for chatting with me today. I'm excited to chat with you and talk to your audience. So first of all, tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hmm. Well, the long version, the, the short version, and the medium version. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever um, you think, think illustrates your, what your work best for us. Yeah, so I'm going to try to give you uh, the most concise version that I can, uh, but kind of bring in uh, different parts of me. I started off as a Montessori teacher. Um, I moved into after some years and people starting to ask me for advice. Um, I realized that my impact could be larger if I you know, taught teachers to teach. So I became an edu- educational specialist where I was working with uh, eight, nine, 10 different schools, kind of depending on the time. Um, and 
really supporting the teacher, supporting the director, supporting the children. Um, and I was doing that for a while, really saw it as my dream job. I really loved the job. Pandemic happened, kids went home, parents went home. Well, parents were already home, but well, parents went home from their jobs, uh, to be fair. Teachers went home for the most part. And some of my, most of my schools were open, but there weren't a lot of children there. Um, and that's where I started to see parents really struggling with this new challenge that they were embarking on with the pandemic and being everything for their children 24 seven. And I felt like I had a lot of insight uh, that I could share that I learned along my journey that could be helpful for parents. So I just started making TikTok videos, it blew up, uh, shared on Instagram, blew up, Facebook, blew up still growing um people wanted more so that turned in instead of just doing the one minute tiktoks where you at the end of it you you know not only is it an enjoyable one minute hopefully but at the end of it you feel like your perspective has grown you have a new tool um people wanted to dive deeper into the nuance and as much as i can pack into a minute there's only but so so much nuance you can get there um and i also wanted to introduce people to resources um, so that they can create their own community of, of resources with different perspectives to help them break these generational cycles, these unhealthy patterns of behavior that we tend to pass on to children. Um, and so that's a little bit about me and what I do. And I now also do one-on-one -on -one coaching because you know some things are very individualized and some people are like, this is great information, but how does this fit with my specific situation? Um, and things will change depending on the child and their temperament, the situation you're in, how you know, the resources you have, where you're at in your journey, all that, all those variables are important. So I also do the one-on-one -on -one coaching to really help people on a deep level with uh, some of those things. Would you say that Montessori was your introduction to conscious discipline? No, um, not really. I didn't, to be honest, um, I didn't find out about conscious discipline as a program until much later in my career. And when I find out about it, I was like, oh, like this is, this is all of the stuff that I've been doing. Actually, to tell you the story about how I found out about conscious discipline, I had already been, I've been on the internet kind of talking about these ideas um and talking about like what i what i did in the classroom and people started to say hey like what you're saying is really aligned with conscious discipline what you're saying is really aligned with conscious discipline um and so i'm like okay that's cool i'll check it out one day and they actually reached out to me and they were like hey what you're saying is really aligned with us and we love your work can you come out? And they kind of flew me out and, you know, we did a conference. I met the team. Dr. Becky Bailey created Conscious Discipline 25 years ago. Um, and so uh, that was my introduction into Conscious Discipline. But my introduction to children, I would say Montessori had a huge part of where my perspective started. Um, and so many other things have really expanded it, conscious discipline being one of those things. So, you know, when I asked you that question, I like, I wasn't even thinking about conscious discipline as a program, but it oh. is a program, you know, I think about it as just like more intentional discipline, but, there, but you are for anyone listening that doesn't know conscious discipline as a program, it is a program, but I guess thinking about like those two words aside from a program too, yeah. 
um, does that mean like intentional discipline, conscious discipline, gentle parenting, positive parenting, conscious yeah. parenting, like yeah. those things are all like, to me, they're kind of all the lines are blurry. How do you feel yeah. about that? Um, no, I agree that the lines are blurry. And I, I will say that in my opinion, conscious is the best word to describe kind of what we're all talking about and we're all doing, you know, bringing the aware at the core of what we're all talking about is bringing awareness to what we're doing um, and doing it intentionally, consciously, right? I think sometimes when people hear gentle parenting, people that can kind of be a turnoff because like you may not feel, you know, maybe when you're holding a boundary or the feelings you have inside <laughs> don't feel very gentle, right? right. And um, so that can be, I think, sometimes really confusing. And I, and I get what people are saying. It's, you know, I understand why people would use that word, but I think the most accurate word is uh, conscious. Um, and I would say my introduction into conscious discipline as a whole was um, like just as, as, a, as a greater philosophy, not as a program, um, was my own discovery process of doing, of trying the fear-based stuff first, because that's what the veteran teachers told me to do. And that's what I saw. Um, and then trying the reward and um, reward and punishment you know, I tried that too. And, and those things, I saw the flaws in those things and, and, and how they weren't effective and they weren't helpful. And just, I just started to see the larger picture of what I was doing. Um, and so I only really found this conscious, you know, parenting discipline style through just searching for something else that, um, that, that would, address the problems I was seeing in the classroom that fear-based and, and reward sticker-based. Uh, right. So trial and error. wasn't addressing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how does this approach differ from the, or is it similar to the way that you were raised? Uh, not similar to the way I was raised at all. <laughs> and because, and, and that's, you know, why, I took like there had to be a, a journey of discovering it because the default when you first are with children, whether you know you're a parent and your child's just become a toddler or or your teacher and you're in the classroom for the first time, your default is going to be the way that you were raised and yep. the things that you've just you're, you see, which tends to be the fear-based stuff. And then if you maybe have someone who considers himself a little bit more progressive. Um, you know, they're like, no, don't use fear. Don't scare the children. Use stickers and use use the carrot, not the stick. But both approaches um, are really exacerbate the problems and they don't actually get to the root of what the problem actually is. And they're actually really, they're really not helpful for a lot of situations when it comes to, you know, if our goal is to help them long-term and to change behavior long-term, the rewards and punishments aren't really helpful for that. If our goal is to teach them new skills, so when they go into these situations, these challenging situations, they're able to navigate that uh, with their new skills in a better way, in a more healthier way, more effective way, punishments and fear and rewards aren't really going to help with that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's why. 
my doctorate is in early childhood development and education. And I find that when we try to divide those two things, child development and education, that's when we run into problems. And I think for so long, teacher education was just education. And yeah. really what are teachers doing, but developing a child yeah. and the whole child, not just the academic piece. And when, I don't know what I see, you know, growing up myself in public schools in the nineties was teachers trying to instill academics. And when things didn't go their way, then they were frustrated because they couldn't get their job done. And I, you know, I still see some of that. I actually just found out recently um, from another mom that in my son's class, he's in second grade, that they still put names on the board and then check marks and they take away recess. And I was just, I was stunned. I was like, what is this 1993? (laughs) It's very common. It's still very common. Is it really? Like, I don't know why I was just in my mind, I was thinking that you know, we've all evolved and we weren't there anymore, but that's still, you still see that? You know, I know this isn't the question you're asking, but what you bring up is something that I try to keep in mind as I learn and grow. You know, we go on these journeys and we go on our own own personal journeys, right? And when we go on our own personal journey and we we grow and learn these new perspectives and, you know, eventually it becomes like a duh, why would we do anything else? (laughs) But we weren't always there. And we tend to forget that we, where we started too, because no one I know started off knowing that like, you know, even all the people I've talked to that preach the gentle, conscious parenting, whatever, like it's not where anyone started, right? But we, just because we've gone on the journey, a lot of times we forget that we didn't bring the entire world with us on, on the journey. And there were many people probably before us on that journey before we got there, right? When we were still learning. And so that's just something to keep in mind yeah. because I hear about like that surprise, right? Because I do on my social media, I do a lot of sharing stories of different perspectives and people, there are a lot of people kind of in this world who've been on the journey um, who are, you know, would they hear stories about things that are happening in other places? It's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe, but you know, we forget that often like two, three years ago, we weren't so sure about, you know, our beliefs. Like we were still discovering, we're still figuring out. And so what does a teacher do when they don't have, when they're not sure about their beliefs and, and, and what to do, like their values in the classroom, and they're going to go back to their default right? They're going to go back to like, okay, well, how did I, how did my parents get me to listen when I didn't want to listen? Oh, rewards and punishments. Let me try some version of that. Or, oh, well, yeah, I didn't like that part, but I just need to spruce up the rewards and punishment. And, you know, maybe if I just take away the punishment, then we'll do the rewards and and, and that'll fix the problems, right? Um, So I know that wasn't the question that you asked. No, no, no. I think that's, that's really important. And I think for anyone listening that just heard me say that and be like, well, what's wrong with putting your name on the board? I mean, case in point myself, for instance, I remember being in early elementary school and I literally lived in fear of getting my name on the board. And one day I dropped my pencil and I had to get out of my chair to get it. And I got my name on the board and I remember it. I mean, I'm 38 and I still remember this from first grade. Like that's how traumatizing it was to me. 
Yeah. And so, you know, I know this is your podcast, but let me ask you. So did you meet, so you were traumatized by that moment when you did that, did that spark, like that inspire you to become a psychologist? Is that like what motivated you? Like where you know, was the whole realization to, to switch and to make a shift? That's actually interesting. So I went back after I was a clinical social worker first, and then I studied ABA, which is behavior modification essentially, and right. learned all about rewards and punishments and was dead set that that was how I was going to be raising my kids. And I was actually finishing up my PhD program and getting ready to start my dissertation when I had my first baby and then had my first, actually the week I was about to give birth with my first baby, I was in one of my final classes and I was talking about behaviorism. Um, and one of the faculty members was like, you just wait, you just wait till you have a baby and see, and come back to me. And sure enough, as soon as I had my own kid and I realized that this, this doesn't feel right. Like this is not the environment that I want my kids to learn and grow. And I, I couldn't really put my finger on it or really come up with a thorough explicit explanation on it. But I knew right away that that was not a way to, or not the way that I wanted to be raising my kids. Yeah. Right. And so then what do we do? Like, that's the first step. Right. Right. And I celebrate people for that first step. Like, okay, this is not the way I want to do it. Like, I don't want to do the way my parents or or parents raised me, or I just don't want to do this way that I just learned. I want to do something else. And that's, you know, that's, that's the first step, but we can't stay there. Right. We have to then go out and get really clear on who is the parent that, or teacher or caregiver that we want to be right and like what strategies are we going to use if we're not going to use the discipline techniques of rewards and punishments then we got to have something else right we can't you know the temptation for a lot of people is like okay I don't want to do that way and then there's no other way and then they fall over into permissiveness and that's not the answer either right Um, And I think that's where the breakdown happens is like, you know, I can reach out to my son's teacher and be like, oh, I really don't like it that you put their names on the board. And then she may come back to me and be like, well, what do you want me to do instead? And then it's not like I can just give her this tactic, right? It's not like, oh, here, just do this. This is something bigger that, I mean, I'm asking her to change her whole mindset, her whole teaching philosophy. And that's, it's a big ask, right? Yeah. It's a huge ask. And that's something that for, you know, uh, parents will reach out to me all the time and be like, how do I, you know, how do I get my partner on board? I'm going to do like some typing, like just for dramatic effect, (laughs) but how do I get my partner on board to do these brain-based techniques and to stop the way that he's, he or she's doing it? And how do I get them to use these techniques, right? And you can kind of like, see that even with the tone there's a little bit of like at least at least the way that I perceived a little bit of aggression in their them typing and then I wonder I think about like well you know since we're talking about brain-based techniques you know if you're talking to me about it in this way and, and maybe you're just venting but if you're if you're talking about it to a, someone you don't know in a way where it feels, it felt like to me that you were kind of downing and not necessarily right. being empathetic to this human being who's, you know, 
learned a certain way or has a certain mindset or a certain philosophy or whatever. And sure, you could, you know, you say like, well, the research says, but that's not the place that they're in right now. And so, you know, my answer to that is like, use some of those same brain-based techniques uh, that you're, you know, talking about that you want to do with your children with your partner, right? And in, in, in an authentic way, right? I'm not, you know, it's really important to be authentic, which is also part of, you know, what I would say in terms of being, you know, conscious in your communication, but starting with empathy and connection and building the relationship, and then it opens up to the larger conversation. And I agree with you that like, whenever I think, you know, in sending in that email, she probably, I mean, I see this all the time. Teachers get defensive just as quickly as parents get defensive. And, you know, she might've gone into a shame spiral of just like, are you saying I'm a bad teacher? Are you blah, yeah. blah, 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 playing blah, 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 all these thoughts? And then man, her best effort to not, and she's like, well, what do you expect me to do otherwise? And that's for the best thing that she had, but, you know, her, you know, not necessarily knowing or understanding your perspective of like, I want you like I want you to shift your whole perspective the way and I want you to gain a bunch of new skills <laughs> uh you know and I want you to learn those new skills and teach those skills while you are meeting the expectations of the broken education system we're going to pause for two minutes to hear from today's sponsors KiwiCo and Indeed When we're spending time doing activities with our kids, it should be fun for both the kids and the parents. KiwiCo strikes that very difficult to find balance. When you're spending time with your kids, if you're learning and you're engaged and you're having fun, you're going to be more likely to do it more often. Last month, my kids and I did a magic crate where we used static electricity to create magical elements and magic tricks. It was really fun. I know we all want to encourage our kids to be innovators and creative thinkers. And I'm thankful that companies like KiwiCo allow us as parents to be part of that process. So if winter is starting to feel long, redefine learning with play and get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code SIMPLE at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com, promo code SIMPLE. You deserve a fresh start in all parts of your life, even at work. Take your team to the next level with a hiring partner that makes it simple to find the right candidates with the right skills. That's where Indeed comes in. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. That's because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed is the only site where you're guaranteed to find high-quality applications. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites to find the right candidates, Let Indeed save you time and energy on the hiring process. And of course, the thing that I love about Indeed is that it's simple. It makes it easy to hire great talent. You can start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash families. That offer is valid through March 31st. Go to indeed.com slash families to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash families. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, check out Indeed. Once again, thanks for supporting our sponsors. And back to today's episode where Chaz and I are discussing talking to teachers about making changes in discipline plans. I agree. And I've been kind of racking my brain about 
what the best approach for me is because the, the truthfully, it's really not impacting me because my son is a rule follower. He doesn't get his name on the board, which is why I didn't even know this system existed, but I still feel this like fundamental need to say something. Um, but so I was actually thinking about reaching out to the OT at the school and just mm. kind of brainstorming and talking to her about sort of bigger level discipline strategies and what the philosophies at the school were and maybe kind of getting in her ear and yeah. then maybe taking it from there. I don't know. What do you think any parents out there that are looking to make change, any tips for them in talking yeah. to teachers and schools? First thing I would say is that you know, just, just because your son is a rule follower doesn't mean that it's not impacting him. Just like you That's said, true. you're a rule follower too. Yeah. And, you know, you were scared to pick up your pencil, right? Yeah. And, you know, that is the, that is a mistake that we make all the time. The ones who are quiet, compliant rule followers, like, oh, you're doing good. Like we have this illusion, like they're not impacted, just like the children who were screaming for connection and intention and help, right? Uh, Those children who are quiet are often, you know, struggling just as much. The children who are getting straight A's are often struggling just as much. They're just not as much of a, you know, signalers, right? Or they're just not asking, they're just, maybe they learned to not, you know, yeah. demand help or they just they're just not asking for it for whatever the reason is and whatever those dynamics are first thing I kind of want to sit there yeah. now in terms of how to actually approach and how to actually you know the process of that I think under trying to understand what the dynamics of the school are um I was my role uh was you know as educational specialist like I was the person who would come in and like do a lot of the training and support a lot of the teachers and a lot of times what would happen would like parents would have a complaint, complaint, the complaint would go to the director or district director if it was serious. And then instead of talking, like sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the directors would talk to the teachers and sometimes they wouldn't. Um, but a lot of times the the director or the principal would kind of, would, would be like, all right, well, this is more, I'm going to deal with more operational stuff and you focus more on the education stuff. So this is your responsibility. These are the complaints that parents are having. Now let's have a conversation about it. And now it's your responsibility to work on it with the teachers. And so then me as the educational specialist, I already have a relationship with all of the teachers and I, you know, personally, and I know not everyone in my kind of role does my kind of role the same way that I do, but like I said, relationships are the foundation for everything, right? And so um, I already have a relationship with the teacher, or if I don't, it's a new teacher or a teacher just I haven't been able to reach. Before I'm like, hey, you wanna, I, we should start changing some things. I'm just gonna build a relationship. I might spend the whole day just building a relationship and just supporting the teacher and whatever they're doing, even if I don't think, what they're doing is the best way or most helpful. Um, But once I have that relationship with the teacher, you know, you're going to see things that come up and like the challenge that they're having. And then, you know, and then they feel comfortable to confide and and say like, Hey, I'm struggling with this. You have any ideas? Like Mr. Chaz, like you, you saw how this kid was acting. How do I fix this kid? And now they're in a place of curiosity. Now they're in a place of receptiveness. Now they're in a place more willing and open to hearing what I have to say. Now I'm not going to approach it and say, 
well, you're doing everything wrong and this is the right way to do it. I'm going to be tactful in that too. But, you know, I guess my point in all of this is being is, is the tact. It does require tact and it does require relationship building. Um, and so, you know, whether you're a parent building a relationship with the principal or your parent building a relationship with that teacher one-on-one or your parent building a relationship with whoever the education or OT person is. Um, I can't say every system works the same or it's going to have the same impact depending on who you're talking to. I think all that is really does depend on the situation, but, um, you know, kind of read the situation and learn about it learn about what the what is the system who, where are they getting their training and, and build relationships before you start to offer advice yes. and recommendations yeah because teachers are under a lot of stress maybe more than ever right everyone is yeah. everyone is the teachers the directors anyone in that school system <laughs> uh, the parents yeah. The, the, kids. the children and if the teachers <laughs> and the parents are stressed out, then the children are automatically yeah. going to be stressed out because emotional contagion, we, 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 we catch each other's feelings, right? Yeah. And so that's why it's important for even when we're triggered in these moments, right? Your, your son comes home and they're like, you know, my, you know, the teacher said I was bad and they moved my, my name down on the chart. That's going to trigger some feelings for you as it, as it normally will. And that's not a bad thing that you're triggered, that you have these emotions. It's, 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 it's a good thing. Emotions are information from the body. They're telling you something, you know, we're not, we don't ignore emotion. They're telling you something, but that doesn't mean that you blindly let it drive you and just be and you're just reactive. And now you call the school yeah. because that's all the school's going to hear. <laughs> Even if you have a very valid point. Right. And so, um, Regulate, breathe, regulate yourself. You need to take a moment or you need, you know, maybe sometimes it's like you need your partner to like have a conversation because maybe the conversation needs to happen right now, but you're not in a place to have it and you have that support. Maybe you can lean on the partner. Maybe you can take a moment to regulate, exercise, <laughs> do some kind of regulating activity, um, take a nap and then come back to it. Um, but our energy is going to impact. So like we come into regulated with empathy, building a relationship, hearing their perspective, then we're going to be much more likely to be effective in our efforts for there to be actual change and for the teacher to actually, you know, take it on because we don't want, we don't want the teacher to do it because they're forced to, right? Because that's the yeah. same problem that punishments and rewards bring up. Right. And, and so like if we're forcing the teacher into doing it and we're pushing them and they don't have that intrinsic motivation on their own, they're going to give up quickly. They're going to go back to their default. They're not going to expand and grow in it. And so it's important to really build that relationship and get that authentic intrinsic buy-in. Yeah. And, and I also think recognize that as a parent, we're not a teacher and we don't know. I mean, if you're not a teacher, you don't know that experience of being in a classroom with 15, 20, 30 kids and the pressure that you're under to manage the behaviors, because a lot of times there's administrators looking down on you with expectations, right? Yeah. You know what? Think about it in a way to help you maybe help parents out there empathize. Cause I talked to a lot of parents and teachers, right? 
And we talk a lot about like, you know, parenting to an audience and, you know, teaching to an audience too. And uh, think about when your mother-in-law or your mother, or, you know, maybe you're parenting a different way than what uh, your, you know, parents did. And, you know, you're in town for the weekend. It's holiday season, right? And you feel that pressure to, to maybe even, even if you feel like, hey, this is the right thing for me to do. Like, I don't, like, this is the way that I want to parent and you normally do it. It's going to be a little bit harder when you have that outside pressure um, yeah. of judgment uh, of your, you know, just like with your, your parent, you know, teachers often feel that a similar way with an administrator who's coming in and looking on and make passing judgments and yeah. writing down numbers and scores. And that's, and it's in charge know, of their livelihood. I mean, that's yeah, one that's thing. Exactly if where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. one thing if your parents come in and judge you and you can roll your eyes and move on with your life. But you know, if an administrator comes in and they're judging you harshly, that can have serious repercussions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really hard for, I know a lot of teachers, uh, we've kind of just had this conversation in my community. Um, and there are a lot of teachers who wrote in and said, I was doing like kind of these conscious discipline kind of techniques and not using rewards and punishment, not using PBIS, uh, which is kind of, you know, reward-based program. Um, and the administrators got on me about it. And they, you know, despite my scores being higher than average, and despite, you know, the kids and I having an actually enjoying being in the classroom, having a good time, enjoying learning, and we had higher scores than the average. And a, I still got fired because the classroom didn't look the way that the administrator thought it should look. And that is a real risk that teachers face. And that doesn't mean, you know, I wouldn't say to a teacher that you, that you just give up and just do the PBIS. I think, again, there's, there's tact, there's conversations, there's, there's a lot of things we can do to advocate, but also be aware and, and, and we often don't do that perspective taking before we, we start giving advice and saying like, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this from our place of frustration. Um, but when we are able to regulate ourselves and enter a space of empathy and to hear the other person out and, and build a relationship, we're actually able to hear the stories and hear what the challenges are and, and find the nuance and what we can do and, and what we can't do. Um, instead of just throwing our hands up and saying, well, this is just too hard. We shouldn't even try, right? Um, but it really does require for parents and teachers and administrators to, to, to build relationships with each other. I'm a big, obviously, you've heard me say that over and over again. I'm a really big believer in that. And I think things will not change unless we start doing more of that. Yeah. We place a lot of value on being able to control kids and we can be very proud when we are successful at controlling kids. And when we can't control kids, we can feel very weak and find that we need to take any way possible to get that control back. Um, and I see that in parenting and I imagine that's probably very true in education too. Yes. 
And you know what? Here's the ironic part. <laughs> the, the irony of it all. Uh, and you won't know it until you're you're on the other side of it. And so some people might hear this and, and think it's not true. Or it's just some nicely worded things. But actually uh, recognizing that what's not in your control, which is other people's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and recognizing that you don't have control over those things, and you only have control over yourself, that gives you so much more control than trying to control all, everyone, and the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors of everyone. And stepping into, and that can feel so scary to, to not be in control, to step out of, uh, of, of controlling children. Um, that can be really scary. And I understand, I understand the fear and I felt that, <laughs> like, it, it, you know, but I yeah. really invite you to, to try to step into curiosity and in and, and, and collaboration and connection and, and to lean into more of those values and those practices. And you will be surprised uh, by what children are capable of and the space that you will create for them to grow. Right. And I so often hear parents say that their kids don't listen to them. And very often what they mean is they don't cooperate with them. They're not cooperating. They're not doing what they say. And you're right. That emphasis on moving beyond seeking control and looking for how do you find cooperation in order just to get your days to run more smoothly? I think to me, that's really empowering that I'm not trying to control you, but I do need some cooperation in order to just get out the door or to get and, ready for bed. Yeah. And, and so I, so I think there's a, a difference. I think most of the time when adults say and that children aren't listening to them and from what I've observed that what we really mean and what I've meant too in the past, I'm not exempt. Like I told you, like I've been through and I, I'm in the process now of sharing more of my story in video form on Instagram. So check that out. The third part of it is going to drop probably sometime later this week or next week. But uh, often what we really mean is that they're not complying with what we want them to do. Exactly. And a lot of times, co-op, so cooperation, I agree. We want cooperation and that's what we want to lean on. And, you know, a lot of times us adults aren't great at giving cooperation too, right? We want cooperation from children, but it takes two, right? And, and, and as adults with fully formed brains, uh, it, it is the burden does fall a little bit more on us to kind of bridge the gap of communication, right? And cooperation or, and to really see what they're doing and to really see them. A lot of times we, you know, we will tell them to stop doing what they're doing without warning. They're like, hey, stop what you're doing. You know, you're done, come do this next thing, right? Without seeing that, like, yeah, we want them to cooperate with us, but you know, have we seen that they're doing something that they're really into, they really care about? And even though we don't think that uh, Paw Patrol or Minecraft or, 
Legos or Play-Doh is important to them, it is the most important thing in the world at the moment. Yeah. The I mean, important. I would never, never dream of going up, walking up to my husband and tapping him on the shoulder and being like, all right, you need to put your work away right now because we're going to the mall. And then right. like, you know, I, I don't want to go to the mall. It doesn't matter. You're going, put it away right, right. now. You know, right. like you would never talk to anybody else in your house, any adults in your house like that. But for right. kids, we expect them to jump when we want them to jump. Right. And like, you know, I'm a big fan. I love myself a Netflix show or Hulu. Or I got all the streaming services. And, you know, think, think about your you know, maybe it's for you, it might not be Kulu, it might be shopping, it might be swimming, it might be doing an array of an array of things. Like imagine that thing that you your hobby, that thing that you really love that you get lost in your play, right? And if someone interrupted you in the moment, in the midst of it, when it's getting to its good part, right? When you were you know, in the middle of, of, you know, you're just, you're shopping and you're going into your favorite store or you were, you know, uh, uh, watching Netflix and, you know, stop right now immediately in the, in the middle of the show as it's getting climax or you were had a ticket to travel and then a pandemic happened and then immediately, you know, it's normal to have feelings about those things, right? And it's hard for, anyone to immediately shift gears when they're engrossed in something. And especially for children, we have to understand, especially with transitions and we're transitioning them from one thing to another thing is that children are so present in the moment. And which is, it's, and us adults, we are tend to not be so present. We tend to be so focused on the future or the past and, and, and not so much, or the present, you know, the appointment and what happened, right? And there's balance there, right? And I think that there is there is something that we can learn from children and there's something that children can learn from us, right? Yeah, children can learn definitely about planning and, and thinking ahead a little bit more than what young children typically do. And we got to understand this developmental as well. And we can practice being more present because that's something that we struggle with as adults um, because we're so focused on the next appointment and the next thing and the time. And, um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think some, I've been blinded so many times by the things that I struggle with the most in my kids' behavior can be things that they learned directly from me. And, um, I, one thing that I have noticed time and time again, is that my kids will be like, can I have a snack? 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 And it drives me crazy. Like they're relentless. And then I, I, I hear, I don't hear myself saying, can you put your shoes on, put your shoes on, put your shoes on, put your shoes on. <laughs> and it's literally the exact thing. But for some reason, when I do it, it's necessary, but when they do it, it's annoying. Right. Like we yeah. have, our, I think we, so we get caught in our own ways and we don't even see that we're teaching them. And so many of their behaviors, we have taught them and we do those things too. Tantrums. I mean, we don't, th- we do those things too. And, and, and I, and I bet your child, if, you know, they could articulate would say, would have the same perspective that you did. Right. When I say it's necessary because I really need money. <laughs> when you say it's annoying because right. I don't want to put on shoes right now. <laughs> like I don't want to, you know, whatever. 100%. 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's just so, I think easy to get caught in this, you know, we need to control our kids. We're the boss and they need to do what we say. And then we don't even realize that we're quite literally doing the same things that we're getting annoyed about. Yeah. And and what I, a a big part of like what I talk about on my whole thing in, in breaking generational cycles is see guide trust. And we have to really, we have to practice really seeing our children. Uh, because we have traditionally been blinded to them, have ignored them, and then tried to guide them. And it's like trying to guide someone in a dark room, right? They can't even see us. We can't see them. They don't feel seen. So they're going to be less likely to reach out to us and grab our hand. And we're going to have less of an ability to actually reach out to them and in and touch them so that we can guide them, right? To say, I'm here for you, I'm, I'm right here. But when we see them and we you know, acknowledge what they're feeling, acknowledge, it, acknowledge what they're experiencing, acknowledging what they're wanting out of a situation with their behavior, then we're seeing them and, and it's so illuminating. And I, one of my favorite things to do is to go, like, I remember I, they, they, they would do it in classrooms all the time and children would be shocked when I saw them, when they would come up to me and they would, they would, uh, they would say something is a problem or something's going on. And I talked about what they were feeling or what they were wanting, what they were trying to do, which by the way, are things that are in the conscious discipline program and their eyes would get wide like they get wide-eyed and look at me you could see them processing kind of being seen and internally what they're experiencing and I think that's just such a beautiful gift and then after that then they're you know they're able to tell me because sometimes I'm wrong you know because sometimes I try to see children and I'm trying to say oh you were trying to get you know you wanted to play with all the Legos by yourself and like, no, I just wanted to play with Legos by myself. And like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's a difference. I saw you, I right. saw you grab the whole bucket of Legos. And I thought that you wanted all the Legos, you know. I mean, I don't necessarily say all that, that, that extra part, but this is me internally processing. Um, but yeah, I got it wrong. And if I didn't even, if I didn't attempt to see the child, they wouldn't have been able to correct me, right? Yeah. And say, no, I just wanted to play Legos by myself. Um, and then I wouldn't have been able to say, oh, well then just, you can, you wanted to play with Legos by yourself next time, grab some Legos and take them to a, you know, take them to your area or take them to a private area. Right. And then, oh, okay. I've been, the child's like, I've been seen. I'm under, I feel understood. You know what my problem is. And now you've given me a solution on how to solve that problem. Yeah. My problem, not the problem you think that I'm having as an, as, as an adult, but what the problem that I think I'm having as a child. Yeah. And you also made a mistake and yeah. you show them that it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. 
Yes. And that's something, I mean, my kids love when I make mistakes. <laughs> they Don't just they? love hearing about it. And that, like this morning, I dropped my daughter off at school and I forgot to bring her jacket. And it's December, it's middle of December right now when we're recording. And like that, like we're going to talk about that tonight because she's going to want to know, like, what kind of mistakes did you make today? And I think it's comforting for them to, to hear that and see that and know, like, that's just part of the human experience, right? Yeah. Man, and I'm glad it's so much more being talked about so much more now because us growing up, like, I don't know about you, you asked me about my upbringing, you know, my parents and any parents that I knew growing up and like them apologizing or saying they made a mistake or they messed up was something that never happened or was super rare. And you can tell like, you know, the, the adults feel, have felt, and a lot of adults still do feel so much discomfort with admitting mistakes. And they feel like they have to be perfect, the all-knowing person. And, and, and that's, and that is, you know, how I'm going to help you learn and grow by showing you perfection and trying to bring you closer to this version of perfection that really doesn't even exist, right? Yeah. And this illusion of perfection. And really, if instead we can celebrate, we could talk about our mistakes openly and, and, and be very open and not shame ourselves for it, but acknowledge them openly and, and talk about what we're going to do differently next time, how we're going to solve the problem, that, you know, that is so much of a more valuable lesson than don't make mistakes. That's actually mm -hmm. don't make mistakes. And if you make a mistake, like, you're less valuable, like that's actually a harmful message to send. And I don't, parents don't intend to be harmful when they're sending that message and they're not, you know, sharing the mistakes, but you know, it, it, it is sending a message and your children, you know, the reason why they love for, to see adults make mistakes because they're the ones who are making most of the mistakes because they're so young and immature and they have a lack of experience and it's part of the learning process. So they have to make a bunch of mistakes and we as adults are always calling them out on their mistakes. And so it kind of yeah. feels like for a child, yeah, you are going to make, as a child, you're going to make more mistakes naturally because you have less experience and your brain isn't as, as mature. And so it feels like only kids are making mistakes all the time. Just so to see an adult make a mistake that even that the learning never stops. Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes we don't see our own mistakes. We kind of brush them under the rug. Mm. Like last year, my husband washed my iPad in the washing machine. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks later, I dropped it. I got it fixed, had insurance luckily, and I dropped it and shattered it. And then after I shattered it, and then after he washed it, I stopped. And I was like, if my kid shattered the iPad, I probably would have been pretty upset about it. But like, yeah. look at me, like twice, both of the adults in the house have now totally destroyed the iPad and it was okay. I mean, I guess in a way it was okay for us, but when a kid sh shatters the iPad, then it's like, oh, you're careless. Right. So no. I, I have to work hard to see my own mistakes and recognize that this could happen to them. And I need some perspective on that. Now, let me ask you this. And so look, you're, you've, you've clearly done a lot of work, but what was your initial when you dropped the iPad and it shattered, what was that initial thought that you had that you told yourself? Um, it was a story from my childhood, which I heard a lot growing up, which was I'm careless. Right. And so I think that's something that we have to acknowledge to like, we have to acknowledge that 
we often treat children the way we treat ourselves and we treat ourselves the way that we were treated in childhood. And so, you know, when I talk about breaking generational cycles, you can see how that is easy. You know, you're treated one way. And so now this is, that's your, you know, mental model. And so when things happen and you doing so much, you know, PhD, all the stuff, podcasts, talking about it, your first, even with all the work, your first initial reaction is to shame yourself. You're careless, right? To make a judgment about you as a person, right? And so- you know, and, and if that is your, if that is your first reaction with your child and, you know, you say you're careless and now you're just realizing it, breathe, like it's, you, you made a mistake. It's okay. You have to make the mistakes so that you can identify the mistakes so you can unpack the stuff so that you could learn and grow. Like it, yeah. like it is, I always say, my number one punchline, my number one, like the one thing to define my brand, uh, I would say it's don't avoid being a perfectionist, be an improvementist. The goal isn't to be perfect every day. The goal is to improve a little every day. Um, Because when we get in this, in these, when we aren't conscious of our reactions, of how we're treating ourselves, our self-talk and how we're talking to children or how we're talking to our our child or a child that you're with, you're caring for. It's when when we're not conscious of it and we just start shaming ourselves, that's going to stop us from the growing. That's going to stop us from the learning. So to let that go, you might have that initial thing. Hear the thought, acknowledge that it's there. No, you're going to hear, you're so careless. Right, you're gonna hear that. I'm like, breathe, regulate yourself a little bit, and tell yourself a different story. And probably it happens, more accurate story. Right? Yeah, I, I it happens. Yeah, I made a mistake. Things. Like everyone does. I dropped it. It shattered. It's not the end of the world. I can I can move on from here. I have a choice in what I do from here. I can I can choose to beat myself up about it and wallow in my mistake or I can accept that I made a mistake and start taking action to fix it, right? Start sweeping yeah. up the glass so that no one else, so so someone, your child that's running by and doesn't see it, you know, doesn't get glass stuck in their in their foot. Um, there's, I've, I've, a, I've a really, I'm not gonna tell the whole story. I think that's, I've kind of dived into it enough, dived into it enough, but, there is a really great metaphor here about spilled milk. Um, and when I've seen children spill milk and them shame themselves so much in that moment and cry that the milk is slowly, slowly dripping off, not even dripping off the table, slowly moving to the edge of the table to drip on their pants. And they cannot move out of the way because they're so busy shaming themselves for spilling the milk. And that shame came from a, an adult, a parent, a teacher, a caregiver, shaming them for spilling the milk. And what happens? The milk, you know, they keep shaming. They're not able to, you know, to, to literally or metaphorically move out of the way. 
and then the milk falls on their pants and now they have another problem. Now it's not just about the spilled milk, now they gotta change their clothes, right? And now it's it takes longer to get back to the table to finish eating and to get more milk, right? And so I haven't even wiped up the mess. And so that is a really real metaphor for what we yeah. tend to do to ourselves. Yes. And you know, last night, um, I took my daughter, she's five to a cookie decorating party and we frosted, she frosted all these sugar cookies. She spent like an hour. She did like a dozen of them and put them in this nice box and we're getting ready to walk out the door. And I dropped the whole box spilled all of the frosted sugar cookies all over the floor. She's standing right there and lo and behold, she handled it with so much grace she picked up those cookies, put them back in the box and was like, we're good to go. She was fine. And I just, I seeing her handle that so gracefully and not get upset at me. Just, I don't know. That just warmed my heart. I feel like maybe, maybe this we're a work in progress, but we are making progress, right? Yes. And that is such a great example of you know, breaking generational cycles and the work in real life, right? And because the mistake happened, right? And this is one example, yeah. right? But the mistake happened, you probably already in your body had your normal conditioned response. Oh yeah, there was lots of profanity yourself. in my head at that time. <laughs> right, but you've done the work for so long and maybe while you're probably, while I'm sure you're, you're not perfect and you mess up, and you, you know, you slip up, I'm sure many times. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but you, it's, again, it's not about being perfect. You've overall, you've communicated, you kind of built a culture around it's okay to make mistakes. When we make a mistake, we don't have to shame ourselves. You're going to acknowledge that as a mistake and work towards improvement and to work towards, you know, fixing something that we repaired. And yeah. while you got that initial response because of the work, that, that initial reaction internally, because of the work that you did, it, it sounds like your daughter did not have that initial reaction. Her initial conditioning reaction was completely different. So when she's a parent, or a teacher or a caregiver, and she's in these same situations that you are, and the mistake happens, that trigger that you feel, that I feel, that so many other people feel will not be as strong or maybe not even present. And, and now she doesn't have to spend so much effort on that piece she can put more time in the actual improvement and repairing. And, and then we get to build and build and build and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow throughout every generation. And that's why I say it's not about being perfect. It's just about improving a little bit because that is how, that is what evolution looks like. That is what evolution looks like. This is how we grow as a species. Um, and I think it's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for sharing that story. I love it. Oh, well, it was, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. And then when we were walking home, she dropped the cookies and then they were covered in grass and we picked that grass off and took them home and <laughs> fed them to her brother and father. So <laughs> they were still there's, good. Right. <laughs> there, there, there's a part of me that More flavor. <laughs> wants to believe that she spilled, that she wanted to make the mistake so Maybe. that she could practice, uh, working through the mistakes. Like, Hey, well, what yeah. if I made this mistake? How, right. how can we work through this mistake? You know, maybe, maybe not. I'm sure it wasn't conscious or, or, or intentional, but 
you know, sometimes I think that children unconsciously will right. learn behaviors because they're looking to learn they're learning. Something. Yeah. It's messy. It's all very messy. And I think that em- embracing that and understanding that has been such has brought me such relief in knowing I'm not seeking perfection. I'm seeking controlled chaos, <laughs> knowing that there's going to be some messiness and that that's part of the learning process. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Chaz. This has been wonderful and very therapeutic for me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it's been helpful for you. I hope it is as helpful and more helpful for your audience members. Yes. And tell us where we can find you online. Yes. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all podcasting platforms and Patreon. TikTok, uh, you could, it's Mr. Chaz. If you find, I'm the only Mr. Chaz with the megaphone. So if you type in M-R-C-H-A-Z-Z on any of the platforms, I should pop up. Um, there's no one else who really, uh, who, who's, who's got my name out there. And my podcast is called Mr. Chaz's Leadership Parenting and Teaching Podcast. And if you want one-on-one coaching with me, you can get access through www.patreon.com forward slash Mr. Chaz. Great. And I will put all those links in the show notes. Cool. Thank you so much. This has been great. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on and hope to stay in touch in the future. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with Mr. Chaz, that's Chaz with two Z's. You can find all the links in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 294. As always, thanks for tuning in and have a good one.